0: Now, I am proud of the fact that I have a parish here whose members love to learn new words. So, I am going to offer you a new word that comes from the Journal of the Absurd and the Ridiculous. This new word is Eorism. Can we say it? Eorism. Eorism. Okay. Now, Eorism is rooted. In the character Eeyore, who is from Winnie the Pooh. Got it. And what do we know about Eeyore? Well, we know that he is a gray stuffed donkey, and quite honestly, he is a killjoy. Pessimistic, always gloomy, always sarcastic someone who's truly unable to suck the marrow the joy out of life and in our gospel today judas is the embodiment of eorism imagine participating in a celebratory banquet where people are celebrating the resurrection of one who had died and is now alive. So Jesus and his disciples are gathered together at the home of Lazarus to celebrate the fact that Lazarus has come back to life. We know all of the the incidents preceding in John chapter 11 that talked about this. And we know that Jesus, full of compassion, resurrects Lazarus, and now they are sat, they're sitting at a table at dinner in celebration. And Mary decides to adorn Jesus with perfume. Perhaps Mary does this prophetically, using the same perfume that would have been used for Lazarus during his time of death. Whatever it is, we know that Mary, out of a sense of deep gratitude but over, and overwhelming joy, anoints Jesus. And then we have Eeyore, I mean Judas. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the proceeds not given to the poor? You know, years later, it's interesting that John, in his color commentary, says, points out the real fact that Judas was a thief and he was probably looking to pocket the proceeds that came out of this. But let's just, just take that commentary out for a minute. And just go with, go with this great intention of Judas. Perhaps Judas wanted to give the proceeds to the poor. Perhaps he was looking out for the common good. But more likely, Judas was someone who wanted to feel morally superior. Someone who wanted to cover up the fact that he was a thief at heart. T.S. Eliot describes such a personality in The Cocktail. He does this through the voice of a psychiatrist named Sir Henry Harcourt Riley, who makes an interesting commentary about life. The commentary goes like this. Half of the harm in, the, in this world is due to people who want to feel important. They don't mean to do harm. But the harm does not interest them, or they do not see it, or they justify it, because they are so absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. Like this sort of uh, points out Judas to a T, the treasurer of the Jesus movement, someone who has a keen financial mind. Someone who frames things in binaries, yes, go sell the perfume and give to the poor. But that sort of framing, that sort of binary framing, is outright harmful. And Jesus confronts Judas with that reductionism. Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. 300 denarii or a year's worth of wages will not address the systemic issues that have caused poverty. Yet, the problem raised by Judas in the gospel is a serious one. What should we do with our finite resources and how should we give? I mean, in a period of rising inflation, when all of our pocketbooks feel lighter by the minute, what are we to do? What if, as the Gospel suggests, poverty is about a lack of connectedness? What if poverty is, a, is about a hindrance, preventing people to meaningfully participate? in God's abundance and providence. What if the solution to poverty is not merely stopgap measures? Rather, the solution occurs when we reorient our understanding of God's abundance through the power of God's Holy Spirit that anoints us. In other words, perhaps poverty is a spiritual problem that manifests itself in material ways. Remember, Jesus is not giving us an excuse not to meet the needs of the poor and the vulnerable. Consistently in the Gospels, as his disciples, we are called to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and welcome the stranger. Yet his invitation at this party reminds us that poverty is not merely an economic matter, but a deeply spiritual one. If it were a matter of public policy and economics, poverty would have been solved instantaneously. Rather, the conditions that cause the immoral wealth gap that lure us into addiction and feed our demons is fundamentally a lack of connectedness to the Lord of Life. And now Mary here, through the act of anointing, desires to connect. It is a reminder to the world that Jesus connects us to God by bearing the cross and donning on a crown of thorns to demonstrate God's love for this world. And by this act of anointing, there is an invitation for us to refocus our love our love and desire for God. For anointing is a physical act of connection. It's an act of giving. It calls us to be joyfully generous in our giving for others as Mary was. Not because of the merit of the recipient, but because we are called by God who sees the possibility of God's creation. Anointing connects us to that deep generosity. It imparts to us healing, and it consecrates us for a divine purpose as the psalmist song such connectedness allows us to sow with tears and yet reap with songs of joy for the collac suggests that we in this connection allow grace to connect us to god even amidst the varied and swift changes of this world because our hearts by grace become fixed On the joys that God gives. And it is from this joy, this joy of adorning the master with the perfume of our lives, with the aroma of our lives, that we live into the world, recognizing that the fundamental demons that we face is not about a lack of material resources, but fundamentally a lack of connectedness to God and with each other. That is what separates us, by the way as the church, as disciples of Jesus, from all the well-intentioned social service agencies and public policies of the world. While they see poverty rooted as an expression of material disparity and call for economic solutions, we as Christians are called to take in that methodology, but we're also called to go beyond To live out the generosity of God, reminding the world of God's desire for connection, and consecrating our life, not focused on ourselves, but centered on the cross. We are called to give, not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but out of deep gratitude and joy for being able to participate in the table of life that God prepares for us in Jesus we are called to give as a mark of our anointing, which occurs as preparation for mission. As Mary is preparing Jesus by anointing Jesus, we too are anointed through the power of baptism. When our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, being set apart for bearing fruits of generosity and love in this world as Jesus is being consecrated, set apart to bear the cross for the redemption of creation, a bearing of the cross that is not meant to appease an angry God, but meant to reconcile us to God and with each other. We are called to bear the pains of this world with a sense of joy and a sense of gratitude, knowing that we are anointed by God for this very purpose. So today, my beloved brothers and sisters, I'm going to offer two invitations. One, the first invitation is this. Participate in the generosity of this banquet, the table that God has prepared for you through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. God invites you to participate in that generosity, that lovingly calls us into a deeper relationship with God, and with each other. The second is this, and it's a little bit more introspective. It's to take stock of your life. Are you an Eeyore, or are you a Mary? If you do not give or lend, a, if you do give or lend a helping hand. Do you do it out of a sense of duty or obligation in a dour mood? Or do you do it out of a sense of deep gratitude and joy that we have received life and life in abundance? Are you an Eeyore or are you Mary? We're all given that opportunity to to ask that question of ourselves. And we're also given the opportunity to choose which path to follow. So, beloved, the choice is yours.